0: Three six nine in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call eight 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 seven eight nine seven 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 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, twenty-one plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire one hundred sixty-eight hours after issuance. See dkng.com/slash-football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. If you'd like to make your NFL games a little more interesting, you've come to the right place. It's the Even Money Podcast with Russ Tucker and Steve Fezik. Yeah, Vegas, baby, Vegas, as the Even Money Podcast rolls on, fresh off of our NFC and AFC win total pods the last couple weeks. If you didn't catch those, make sure you go back and check them out we are presented today not only by the best ticket app they've ever created in the world, SeatGeek, which you should make sure when you download it on your phone you put the code Ross in so you get the 20 bucks off, as well as SaxUnderwear.com/tucker or even Omaha Steaks get that amazing Father's Day deal by putting the code Ross in the search bar. But we're going to have a very interesting and different show for you today. I'm Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. You can check me out on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL or Facebook, facebook.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. He is at Steve Fezzik. No, he's not. His name is Steve Fezzik. His Twitter handle is at Fezzik Sports. And he's the only two time winner of the Super Bowl of professional football betting. But you're going to learn a lot more about Steve today because that was the request of one of our listeners that sent in an email. But before we do that Steve, I got to give you the tip of the cap. You were talking about the Warriors a long time ago. You said it's a sure thing. Well, I don't know that you said it was a sure thing. You just said that there it's a very good bet. They're gonna win it and here we are recording this on Thursday like we typically do, and the Warriors are up 3-0 and looking like they're going to sweep the Cavs and sweep the entire NBA playoffs.
1: Yeah, and I think the NBA is going to have a competitive issue problem going forward. Let's face it, the Warriors set the NBA record with 73 wins, and then Curry got hurt. Bogut got hurt for the playoffs. Uh, Had a lot of things go wrong at the end of last year, but adding KD... Kevin Durant, I'd make the case, is almost as good as LeBron James and clearly the second-best player in the NBA. With that supporting cast, Ross, it's not who's going to beat him this year. If they can keep them intact, who's going to beat him the next three years?
0: Wow. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, though, Steve, things happen. You know, like guys don't play as well. Injuries happen, but you're right. They do look pretty darn good. Isn't it amazing that a team can have LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, and still look so – I mean, last night they played really well, and they still couldn't get it done. It's pretty remarkable. It also seems, Steve, like – I don't know if you saw. Did you see the LaShawn McCoy bet, Steve? I did not. LaShawn McCoy bet $200,000 on the Golden State Warriors to win the series. And if he wins, he wins 62500 Now, obviously, it's looking like that will end up being a good bet because it would be a shock if they didn't win the series. But in terms of the odds, what do you think of that bet?
1: Oh, okay. Um, I did see something about that. I think he laid minus 320. So classic example of the type of bet pro athletes make where they get um, they might have the right side, but they have the wrong price because he certainly should have been able to get lower VIG. The public loved Cleveland. So, um, by example, uh, I was able to bet Golden State minus 270. So he paid a tax for it. But you know what? When the true odds should have been 10 to 1, how can I argue with it, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's going to win. So it's going to work out. Um, we got an email question, Steve, which is kind of what prompts the subject matter for today's show. It's from Matt in Garden Grove, California. Actually, we got two email questions, Steve. The first one, I don't think we ever did this one, um, was from Luke Lippert. And I don't know if we talked about this or not, but he said um, he's a diehard Minnesota sports fan often finds himself betting on his team regardless. The only time he doesn't uh, is when they're big favorites. It's resulted in a very streaky betting history. Any advice for people that cannot, and this will actually play into our other question today, any advice, Steve, for people that can't stop betting on their home team?
1: I think that a good rule of thumb is that when you like your home team, and you're a homer, so you're, looking at your team with a favorable light and finding the positives, maybe not the negatives. I would scale back the betting when you want to bet on them. But when you think that they're going to lose, despite being a fan of that team, I think that's the time to really step it up and unload example. If you're a big jet fan and you're following what's going on in the jets off season, I think um, the jets are already talking about NBA style Ping-pong balls, get Sam Darnold, tank for the year. That is not a team I want any part of. I don't care what my power ratings or value may say about any particular game.
0: And that kind of leads us into the next question, Steve. I, I bet a lot of people have that problem. Because somehow, some way, you inherently think that your team is is better just because there's 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 like a... A loyalty in there somewhere
1: i think sometimes ross in the smaller markets there is a slight bias against those teams and a bias towards the bigger markets so i could see somebody from minnesota actually saying you know what when our team is good that we don't get enough credit so at times i think that can be the case but usually only in the smaller markets in the nfl
0: right that makes sense um I want, and that's actually a question I wanted to ask you, Steve, as we lead into the other email question. And I said, as I said, this is from Matt in Garden Grove, California. Hey, Ross. Attached is the, green, is the screenshot in which I used your SeatGeek promo code to buy some Angels tickets for my family. It really is amazing, Steve. I've got a bunch of listeners that they can buy tickets for like 30 bucks, 25 bucks total for two or 30 for two to some of these major league baseball games. And then they get 20 bucks off. They end up being able to go to a baseball game for like 10 bucks, five bucks. It's crazy. Just using the code Ross. Um, Anyway, he said, instead of a question, I have a request. I loved the episode you did with Andrew Brandt a few weeks back in which Andrew gave us a bio of his life and spoke about his career And how he got where he is today. I was wondering if you would do the same type of episode, but with Steve Fezzik. I think that would be a very interesting podcast. Stemming from his bio, how he got his start, and particularly his experiences and interesting anecdotes. RE, the World Series of Professional Football Betting. Keep up the great work. Love all the shows you do. So, by request, Steve... When someone takes advantage of one of our sponsors and emails me, Ross at Ross dot com, I not only ask you the question that they ask, I, I take requests. So they want to know a little bit more about you. I feel like maybe one of the first episodes we ever did, we did this, but that was a couple of years ago now. So let's just start. I know you grew up like in the Dayton area, right?
1: Yeah, so start in Dayton, Ohio, go to school at Northwestern in Chicago Work for a few years in Chicago. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're going uh, way an,
0: too fast. You're going way too fast. All right. I want I want to start in Dayton, Ohio. So did you grow up a big Bengals and Reds fan?
1: Yes, it was the big red machine in the 70s. Um a Bengals fan, yes, even more so a a big red machine fan.
0: Because that was like I mean, that's one of the best baseball teams ever.
1: Oh, absolutely. And we had the best lineup ever. Cesar Geronimo hit 308. Batting eighth in 1975 I think
0: wow that's crazy um, okay now did you were you an athlete at all Steve
1: I was not until my pretty much my uh, freshman year in college and I played sports I like sports I just you know I would just play with my buddies and believe it or not Ross I was on the chess team as Big a math geek as you will ever see. I was a state runner-up in chess.
0: That is awesome. I love chess. I used to play growing up with my grandfather all the time. I love chess. Chess is awesome.
1: So as a parent, it is very difficult to balance what you want your son to do because if he enjoys all the activities. I would much rather he be very, very well-rounded and only do activities he really likes. He likes chess. He likes soccer. So the problem with chess, to get really good at chess, you got to just sit inside and study stuff for eight hours a day. It's like trying to win a spelling bee at a national level. And I don't ever want him to be so focused on that that the other activities suffer.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Um so how did you so, – okay, so you go to Northwestern. So obviously, you're a really good student. You get into Northwestern without any any um, you know athletic support or whatever. Um, and you go to Northwestern. What did you major in?
1: So I majored in industrial engineering. And I always loved probability and statistics. That was my favorite part. And that's kind of more on the curriculum for industrial engineering than other forms of engineering. Looked around – For career choices and discovered the actuarial field, which is um, actuaries are the guys that set your life insurance rates, figure out your probabilities of um, things happening and project into the future. You can see how this led me into my new career eventually. So I became an actuary.
0: Okay. So is actuary a pretty good job? Pretty good paying job, right?
1: Very good. Yeah, got rated number one job in the country like 25 years ago, has a disadvantage that's a little bit dry, Um, but I was successful with it and um, worked in Chicago a few years and um, wound up in Los Angeles and worked for many, many years for Transamerica and ultimately was a vice president with them for years in the mid-90s in downtown LA.
0: Wait a minute, say that again.
1: I worked for Transamerica in the mid-90s I was a vice president for them, working in downtown Los Angeles.
0: So, um, that's when you transitioned from Chicago to LA.
1: Yeah. so I moved to LA in the late 1980s, 1988, and pretty much was there until uh, 19 no until 2001.
0: Wow. Okay, and then. How did you make the transition to Vegas?
1: So, I discover Las Vegas, since I'm right there in Los Angeles, and I start going out, and I play some blackjack, on a card counter, and I discover sports betting. And I discover a lot of advantageous ways to bet on sports, particularly parlay cards with stale numbers on them. And it got to the point, it became my second business, that during football season, Ross I would fly or drive up to Nevada and I would be playing sports wagers, primarily parlay cards, pretty much every weekend.
0: So explain that to me. Stale parlay cards.
1: Yeah, so what would happen is that back in the nineties, they, they've gotten much better with this. They would on Tuesday they'd print the lines, they'd take the lines on a game, and they would round it off to the nearest half point and they would have a pre-printed card, and those would be what the odds would be. So, example, the Jets are playing Buffalo week one, and they'd make Buffalo a a six-and-a-half-point favorite. So let's say something happens, uh, there's some injuries to the Jets, and the line goes up to seven-and-a-half. That's the number that you'd have to bet if you go up and ask to make a straight bet. But on the parlay card, Buffalo would still be at minus six-and-a-half. So I would basically just make wagers on all these rogue numbers And oftentimes they were really rogue back then because quarterbacks could be out, lines could move four points in college, and they would still leave it on the parlay cards. And we were just crushing it. me and some other guys as a team going up and rotating into the Nevada sportsbooks playing those bets.
0: So when you go and, like, play cards or whatever, right, and you're winning a lot and they know that you've come up with some advantage, you're counting cards, they kick you out, Right.
1: Yes. Okay. So, so what about being what a, about
0: sports betting? And by the way, why should they be allowed to kick you out just because you're good at you're good at counting cards?
1: Um, it's kind of the same as you go into the carnival, Ross, where they say you can only win two big prizes when by putting the basketball into the rim. You don't want Allen Iverson to come in and clean you out if you know that a really good player has the edge over you. You let him play a little bit, but you really. You just can't afford to let someone come in and play unabated. The beauty of the 1990s in sports betting is that there were so few advantage pros and good sports betters that it was almost unheard of to get kicked out of um, a sports book for winning because the books were making so much money. There's so few good sports betters that um, they pretty much took action from everybody.
0: So. What would you do? Would you go to, like, as many sports books as you can? Like, you'd come and you guys would split up. Like, I'll go hit these three. You hit these three and bet this much on these because these cards are stale. These cards are stale.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. We in, in fact, on an NFL game, it wouldn't be unusual. We'd be laying two and a half at the Barbary Coast on an NFL game, bombing that play in, and we'd be going up to um, the, the station casinos and taking four and a half back on the same game on a ties win card on a plus four and just all over town. We'd have it mapped out who had the lines on each game and we'd play both sides of games. We went up to northern Nevada. Uh, we actually bankrupted a couple casinos in the um little known town of Wendover, Nevada on the Utah border. I personally, proud of this, single-handedly wiped out Baldini's casino sportsbook in Reno, Nevada. Two weeks, I, I had back to back. I ran great against them. Two weeks later, they were no more, and they became a, uh, a Leroy's. Um, they stopped having an independent sports book. I was so fortunate.
0: So why why did you have to go up to like Reno and on the Utah line? Why couldn't you just do it all in Vegas?
1: Because in um, in Wendover, Nevada, they they had a uh, payout on a 17 parlay <laughs> that paid 120 to one, Ross as opposed to Vegas that was paying a perfectly competitive 104 to 1, 120s, a lot higher than a 104, kind of like NBA basketball. Three is worth more than two.
0: Wow. Okay. So you just happened, I mean, you didn't gamble like at Northwestern or when you were in Chicago?
1: Not at all. Didn't even know what gambling was. I still have a vivid memory. My best friend took me to a casino night. And he loves to this day to tell me, I'm the one that taught you how to gamble because we just went to a frat one night. And that was my first exposure my sophomore year to any kind of gambling.
0: Wow. Okay. And then when you were in L.A., you're like, hey, let's go to Vegas. And you went there and you bet and you enjoyed it and just started doing more and more. And you were winning and, and uh, you were having success with it. So then you kept doing it more.
1: Yeah. And what's interesting is I started with blackjack and I got the books and I became a card. Count. I was actually, um, I finished third in the blackjack ball, which is this prestigious um, secret meeting of pro blackjack players one year. So I really know my stuff with blackjack. There's certainly much better players, but I never had all that much luck with blackjack. And part of that, Ross, is your edge just isn't very large playing blackjack versus if you're a pro poker player, you have enormous edges. Um, where you can, you can get it in with the best of it being a four to one favorite pre flop, Whereas in blackjack, even in your, your very best situations, you're probably only going to win about 55% of the time, um, in terms of your edge versus house.
0: Got it. Okay. So then I want to, um, I want to get in. So take me, take me to your LA thing. You're, you're going with these guys, you're hitting the different, um, sports books, you're cleaning up in Vegas, and then I'm guessing at some point you said, why don't I just move here? It'll be a lot easier.
1: Yeah, well, what happened, I mean, I liked my gig at Transamerica, but we got bought up by a company called Aegon, and so there was a big transition period, and so they offered everyone a package to uh, transition or take a uh, you know a less favorable job, and so I took the package and I moved to LA in 2001. I remember it was right after 9-11. And came out to Vegas and I was going to stay completely under the radar and just do my thing. Um, I would enter, you know, the local sports betting contest here in town and was just going to be an anonymous pro better. And then along came the super contest. And in the late 2000s, had quite a bit of success with that. And that kind of put the kibosh on staying anonymous.
0: What's the value in staying anonymous that that? they won't kick you out. You can keep placing bets there.
1: Yes. um, Very much so. But the, you know, there's a certain value to being very well known also. So there's certainly books that I don't think are crazy about taking my action now, but I give them good press. You know, I'll tweet something out about promos they have and the like. So then they kind of view me as a, um, a loss leader, I think if you will, where maybe, maybe I might make a few dollars over the course of a season playing against them. But uh, go ahead and give them good press and promotions and the like. So because of that, it's not a bad situation to be in.
0: So you moved to Vegas after you were killing it. But then when did they stop having these stale parlay cards? Say that again, Ross? When did they stop having the stale parlay cards?
1: Oh, oh so what they did is right right around 2003, the books got much, much more proactive about hey we can't be having people coming in and betting uh tcu plus seven and a half when the line is five so they started pulling them all off the card they stopped taking those wagers and they to this day so that has kind of dried up where it's just not nearly as lucrative and frankly they're they've become much better even when they haven't pulled them off you might walk up with um you can try to walk up with a stack of cards but if you walk up with like a $200 parlay card, they're going to say, we can't take this. You're just playing all these stale numbers. So they've, um, similar to plaquejack, they've gotten very good at managing their liability and their exposure on this. And it really isn't a very good opportunity anymore.
0: Okay. So then when that opportunity started to dry up, what, what, what did you get into then?
1: So I did much more in straight betting. And I would still play in all the contests locally, which I always, it's funny, people made fun of me where I said, I think the return on investment in these contests is over 100%. Where, so every $1,000 that you, in contests I'd enter, I said, I expect to win 2000 you know really good poker players think the same in poker tournaments as well. And people made fun of me for a while saying, how could your ROI be that high? Come on now. And um, I think ultimately, I uh, proved them wrong and proved that I was right. That there was some serious money to be made in football contests.
0: So, how did you keep win? Like, how did you win so many football contests? What was what was your edge?
1: You know, I would say the the number one edge I had, Ross, was that I would play the games I liked only when I got good numbers. So, if I liked an NFL favorite and the line was three, and they put minus three and a half on the card, I don't care if I love the game. I'm not laying three and a half on a game that's lined at three. But if it was two and a half, I would use it for certain. So I would combine handicapping with good numbers together in my football contest. And almost all my competitors just picked like on Monday. They'd say, oh, I know what my 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 five favorite plays. That's what I'm going to play in the contest without even seeing what the lines were going to be in the contest. And they were at a huge competitive disadvantage because I would steal contest after contest where I didn't pick any higher rate of winners than my opponents. But they would lose games by half a point by taking crap lines on games that they loved.
0: Got it. How did you, now, so the two time winner, how much did that pay out? Was that like a huge payout? What was it called? Because he specifically asked about that, the World Series of Pro Football, or whatever it was called. Um, how much did it pay out? And was it more about the payout or more about sort of the prestige of winning it?
1: Um, it's more about the payout at the time, and then down the road, it becomes a little bit more prestigious. It paid 200,000, a little over 200,000 back in um, 2008 and 2009, and I won it both years. And I won um, I won six contests, but though that's the biggest one, so that's the one that I, I talk about. And so because of that, it's interesting here I made a living as a professional gambler. Um, I play poker also. And since 2001, full time here in Las Vegas, but everyone looks at me as like, oh, well, you know, he he won the contest those two years. I'm sure there's poker players that, are, that have the same thing where they're known for winning one or two key tournaments despite grinding away. I think Daniel Negreanu, you know, one of the most well-known poker players for like 10, 15 years, he ground away, I think, in Reno and Vegas, making a living playing poker be- before he became a big name. And he probably thinks that, in many ways, was a bigger accomplishment than what he's doing now.
0: Um. Man, I have a, a, a lot more questions. We might have to have a second episode like this because I'm curious. At some point I want to go through, you know, what your process is during the week now, what your process is off season during the season. I'd like to also discuss at some point, you know, how many, you know, professional gamblers there really are out there, um, how successful. They typically are. I guess you're not a pro uh, for very long if you're not if you're not successful for it. So this was fun. We'll probably do it again, maybe even next week or over the next few weeks because there's a lot more questions I have, and if I have them, I bet a lot of the listeners are curious as well. Awesome, though. Very, very fun. Even money podcast. Steve, thank you for sharing. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you up more on sort of uh, current questions, your current process, your current life, and some of your um, your fellow pros, as they say, um, either next week or, or over the next few weeks.
1: Looking forward to it, Ross.
0: Awesome. Well, hopefully a lot of you already get Steve's bets and the things he recommends over at his Twitter handle, at Fezic Sports. I'm at Ross Tucker, NFL. Certainly, you can always... Follow the Twitter handle of the show as well, at rtf podcast. Can't tell you guys how much it means when you give us an iTunes ranking and comment, especially on this podcast, even money as we're looking to grow it. Please, please, please tell everybody how much you like listening to Steve and I all year round, especially when we are making our NFL bets. We've both been in the black the last couple years, so it is a good podcast to listen to. He is Steve. I am Ross. We are done. Good luck, everybody. Hope you guys win some money. Hope you enjoyed that, too. Thanks for listening to the Even Money Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, the Fantasy Feast Podcast, and the College Draft Podcast, all available on iTunes at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found.